If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from any film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we're talking about how to make an action film, how to get the money, how to get it sold, and how to get it distributed. I am Giles Alderson, director and co-writer of the Dare feature film and World of Darkness feature documentary and producer of A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. Andrew Roger is filming as is Christian James, but we have the perfect option for today's podcast. It's producer and lead actor in the action film Retribution. It's Dan Richardson. Did you just call me the perfect option? I did. Oh, man. Yeah. Thanks. Pleasure. You are the perfect option. Today, we are at Three Mill Studio having a chat with two very established producer directors. It's John Adams and Ross Boyask. Hello. 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 That was so delayed. I love that. I love that. After working with Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks on Band of Brothers, John and several ex-military colleagues form Universal Combat, the first UK-based agency to specialise exclusively in providing military advice and support for indie films. After several years of this, John diversified from military coordinating to assistant directing and script editing, then ultimately to writing and producing many feature films. He has just directed for the first time on the feature film Orcs, starring John Reese davis and ross boyas ross is an award-winning genre filmmaker his micro-budget action feature 10 dead men which he also edited has sold over 40,000 copies in the uk alone and has been re-released numerous times across several territories currently ross has got three features as director on wide release and these are 10 dead men warrior s and left for dead they both run evolutionary films which has produced and or distributed many films including legacy who killed Ness- who killed nelson M- Fuck. Who killed Nelson Mandela? <laughs> Can I just say who killed Nelson Fuck would be an amazing title. I thought you were going to go with who killed Nelson Fuck, Meg, which would have been brilliant. <laughs> Meg, it would be a great title. Who killed Nelson... I can't say it. Can I try? Yeah, try. <laughs> who killed Nelson Nutmeg? Oh, he's, yeah, he's practised. He's practised. Uh, the Magnificent Eleven, Kane Hill, which we talked about on last week's pod with the makers Gene Fillets and Tony Cook. Do check that out. Warriors. Out of the Shadows, and recently Let Me Go, starring Juliet Stevenson. It's a massive backlog. It's amazing. Welcome to the podcast, John Adams and Ross Boyask. Hello. Thank you. Hello. How you doing? Can, can, can I just say, I'm taking the title The Perfect Option for my next film. Makes you sound like an American wrestler. It's great. The Perfect Option. In a world. Yeah. In a world with limited options. I said limited options. In a world with limited options. He was the perfect one. <laughs> 
he's writing itself. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Page three. <laughs> um, right, let's let's start from the beginning. How, how did you boys start, John? Obviously, I know your military background, but for you, how, how did you move from being in the military to film? Really randomly, I I left the army as a, a commissioned officer. I was actually training officer on Salisbury Plain, and didn't really know what I was going to do. I'd, I'd had a car accident. I screwed my neck up. I, was, I wasn't planning to leave the military at that point. And I answered an advert in a newspaper that said, ex-military wanted for film and TV. That's all it said. Ex-military wanted for film and TV. And it was a background casting agency for Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. And they looked at my CV and said, you're actually kind of more qualified than most people we've got coming through. So Amazing. they introduced me to a guy called Dale Dye, who runs a company called Warriors Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dale Dye, military advisor on Saving Private Ryan and, and various other things, Platoon. Um, and he gave me a contract for 10 months doing military advice on Band of Brothers. That's that was it. And that was so where it started. Cool. And for 10 months, I thought this industry was really easy because like day two, I had lunch with Spielberg and Hanks and stuff. <laughs> and yeah, that was, it was kind of just weird. And I'm yeah, thinking this is it's so simple. Yeah. And then I finished Band of Brothers and realized that it's not quite as easy to get the next job. Yeah. So you went from Spielberg and you suddenly went, what am I going to do next? What happened? Um, so I formed Universal Combat, which... Uh, myself and three other ex-military colleagues who'd also worked on Band of Brothers, uh, we came together and we said, let's start representing the the massive number of ex-military guys working in film and TV. Um, and we did everything from Jeep commercials where we recreated Normandy landings on Utah Beach uh, right. with 10,000 French extras and a $4 million budget. Amazing. Uh, right through to, I mean, I'd still script advise for EastEnders for the BBC for military stuff that they do. And that's that was my route into the industry. I, I kind of used my military background to carve out a, a niche career and then went from, you know, basically off the back of that Jeep commercial, I went from military advising to ADing and script editing into writing and, you know, gradually line producing and teaming up with people to, to make films and started to learn about the business. I was a child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the same question for you, Ross, How, what, what was your journey into being this, you know, established filmmaker you are now this is a very long story have you got time well you can maybe shorten <clears> it <laughs> the problem is the short version is probably quite long so right let's, go, let's try, go with that let's try this from the age of two wow we're going yeah back there. exactly from mm. the age of two mm. i wanted to work for either marvel or dc comics as a writer artist i didn't even know at the time because yeah. i was two so when i was I, two i wanted to be a fire engine <laughs> you were a fire engine yeah, that's no, amazing uh, so every day drawing writing drawing thor spider-man daredevil batman i didn't know the difference between companies so i just did that for ages when and everyone got annoyed you were two what did i you was expect? two but and until about two and the, and a half and the class but, action suit came in again yeah exactly <laughs> lots of copyright issues then when i was 11 years old so that was nine years of that i saw three films in one day that completely changed my life and when you speak to filmmakers of what i laughingly call my peer group they would probably say things like jaws jaws is the one and there are others but jaws tends to be that one for me it was Revenge of a Ninja, Commando, and American Ninja. American Ninja. Which is, they're all amazing, and they're still amazing. So canon films have a lot to answer for. Mm. And when I saw those films at the tender age of 11, and they were all 18 rated, I essentially just went, how do I do that? In many ways, they were very comic book. Mm. So from then on, it was like, okay, I need to learn martial arts, and I need to figure out, where do I get cameras from at the age of 11, you know, whatever. You can't find it. Back in that time, Mm -hmm. it was all big VHS cameras and all that stuff. So 
this isn't very short. So the point is, I kept doing that, working with mates really more than anything, figuring out how do I do fight scenes, watching films literally frame by frame, edit by edit. Great. Like fight sequences particularly. Yeah, like exactly. How do they do that? Which camera did they do? Yeah. Which shot? Why did that work? Exactly. And kind of trying to emulate that and mm-hmm. essentially copying from the best, I suppose. Why not? Uh, the best know, of the best, We right? still do it, I think. <laughs> um, flash forward a little bit. I mess up my A-levels. I, I do A-levels that are all good A-levels, but I'm not good at them, like business studies and things, which I wanted to be good at. And how you run a business, just to throw that out there. Yeah, <laughs> this explains quite a few Hope problems. Hope our investors are listening to yeah, this, this one. Great. Yeah. This explains quite oh, they a will few. be. Yeah, this explains quite a few problems. Um, and it turns out there's media studies. It turns out to be basically film studies. Who knew? Who knew that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do that, really enjoy that. Meet uh, a very good friend, Phil Hobden, who went on to subsequently went on to become essentially my producer and, and co-partner in the first couple of features we did lots of shorts and all sorts of yes, things yeah. and very supportive and really for that point we were literally filming and editing every day at six form we would just if we had any free time we were either figuring out fight scenes or whatever and just making silly things or editing we were either just did that all the time okay after university it was trying to get jobs involved in filming some way. somehow sure um and then realizing that really no one without being a negative thought no one's going to help you do it in terms of no one's going to say here's here's money to make a film no very so rare. we just basically said, let's make let's just do this let's just beg borrow steal break in do what we <laughs> do whatever we had to do i think it's all uh past now what's the uh, breaking it statute of limitations yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay just just clear now <laughs> yeah. uh, that's fine <laughs> uh and essentially we did that and that's how we got our first feature, Left for Dead, made. Took it to Cannes, got it to a sales agent. Blah blah. Lots of this. No, this is great. This is what this is <laughs> what we want. Let's give the actual film bit. Yeah. No, so we we did that. That went very well, uh, particularly for a no budget action feature, mm-hmm. which was Left for Dead. We then went on to do Ten Dead Men and tried to make everything bigger and better and so forth and so forth. Uh, and it really just progressed that way. I, I managed to get involved in doing film sales for business side of things, mm-hmm. uh, which was fascinating and somewhat depressing in places in terms yeah. of business well, well you realise that the the film business has sort of fallen out a little bit the bottom yeah. sort of yeah DVD yeah. sales have gone and- but it's very important to, I, I shouldn't be so negative about that it's, I think it's fundamentally really important that people who set out to make a film really do understand the business somewhat they should mm-hmm. be speaking to people who are going to for want a better way saying it monetize their film sure before you set out and do this if you want to make money if you just want to make a film for your own purposes, that's... Yeah, that's to different. sit on your mum's shelf, then fine. Yeah, and yeah. I mean that with, with no, mm. you know. Um, I think if you're genuinely setting out to make a film co- for a commercial purpose, you should be looking at what the business is saying, what the market is saying. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, I mean, I think we, as an industry, and, and the people who are working as a business within this industry, and that's, yeah, that's what it is, it's a business, the film business, we are traders. We're traders in a commodity that we happen to love making and we're passionate about and we've enjoyed since we were two. But actually, we have actually to... Actually, 11. 11. <laughs> but we have to, at the end of the day, realise that ultimately a film, when it reaches market, is regarded as a product. When supermarkets are putting stock on shelves, they don't look at films any differently to how they look at eggs. It's, yeah, yeah, it's the same principle. It's wholesale price, it's a retail price, and it's money going back to you know, down, a, down a recruitment waterfall. And you reach a point in your filmmaking career, I think, where you have to bring that common sense ideology to your filmmaking. Otherwise, you're not going to have a career in this industry. And to be, and to be honest, mm-hmm. this is something we come across. It's about doing it before you make the film. 
yeah. well, before lot, you actually yeah. I'll spend if resources. You, if you make a film without knowing who at the other end of it is going to want to watch the film, uh, you know, we, we come across this all the time with filmmakers who sit in this room with us. Yes. And we say to them, okay, so that's the film you want to make. Who are you making it for? Who's your audience? What, mm-hmm. what have you, you know, how are you marketing this? Why does it stand out from the other films that it's going to be competing with? And they haven't even considered it because yes. they get caught up in the artistic process of, I want to make this film because it's my personal vision to make this film. Actually, you've got to step back from that and go, if you're asking for investors to put money behind you to do that, mm-hmm. investors don't just want to know how you're spending their money. They want to know how they're getting their money back. Indeed. And that's the, that's the bit that so many filmmakers don't think about. And in many ways, it's why we're here as a sounding board to say, come and talk to us. Um, we can put that bit of your business plan in place if you get us in early enough. It's, yeah. it's so important. It really is. A lot of filmmakers don't. They go, well, I'm just going to go make this film and everyone's going to want to buy it because it's going to be so amazing. Then they get to set, realize how hard it is, the problems that occur. Then they try and sell it. And people go, well, it's not really finished or there's no names in it or there's where, who's your market? Who you actually, what kind of film is this? Managing expectations is so hard as well Mm -hmm. because, you know, everybody hears about the King's Speech or the Full Monty or Four Weddings and a Funeral or $200 million movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, For every one of those, there are hundreds, if not thousands of British films that don't make $200 million. In fact, probably only one in 10 really make a profit for all of the investors that get involved in them. Mm. So, you know, you just manage the expectations of setting out on a film. It is unlikely that you're going to be buying a Ferrari off making your first feature. Yeah, fact. Absolutely. Yeah. I quit. This is my fourth one. What about yeah. my fourth one? You don't drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I just want to look at it. I just want to look at that Ferrari. Can I have a Ferrari made out of chocolate? Yeah, or a kid's well, one. Yeah. I'll just drive it around. Yeah. Ferrari made That's out of chocolate. That's a much better ambition. Get Massive. a radio-controlled Ferrari. Made out of chocolate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're onto something. So, uh, Are we? so we'll come back to how you actually make action films and what goes into them. Let's talk about Orcs. I know it's obviously part action as well. Now, this is a gruesome action horror, which begins when two young boys playing in the woods discover the entrance to a military bunker undetected since World War II. This film stars Jonathan Rhys Davis, Rosie Fellner, Jack Durgis, James Fisher, good friend of mine, John, and Tristan I, Summers. Can I just interrupt you? John Rhys Davies. If you call him Jonathan Rhys Davies, he says that Rhys Mayers has got a fucking lot to answer for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That John Rhys Davies. John Rhys Davies. Yeah. This is your directing debut. You've been producing for a long time. You understand marketing film. What was it about Orcs that made you want to do this film? I'm not sure anything made me want to do this film. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Maybe I'll change the question. No, uh, so I think this came about because I've worked with a lot of directors over the last 20 years mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of people screw films up and a lot of people deliver good stuff. And working at this budget level, the type of directors that we would be able to employ for Orcs, I, I felt like we were going to get somebody on their second or third feature who was looking to step up, and quite rightly, I mean, that's their career path. Mm-hmm. But for me, this was, it was the first film we were making under the Evolutionary Films banner, sure. um, and I'd co-written it. And I was looking at it thinking, do you know what, if anybody's going to screw this film up, it should probably be me. Um, and I'll put my neck out there and say, I'll direct. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I can't actually blame anybody else if this goes terribly. Sure. And it was an interesting experience, because it's very different to most of the other stuff I'd done in the industry before. In particular, the the biggest difference for me was, I guess, not being in control of the wider picture. Because everybody, you know, Diane Shorthouse, who produced, just tried, and, and Charlie Oakton, my first AD, just wanted me focused on a monitor so that I was directing the actors. You know, and I'm used to being across what's happening next, what's happening tomorrow, what's of happening next week. Yeah. You know, where are the facilities vehicles? Go facilities vehicles, like we have those. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but the Where's gen- Ross's bike going? <laughs> I'm normally- chocolate bike. Yeah. Chocolate bike? Yeah. Yeah. Chocolate Ferrari. I'm normally across everything. And mm. it was, uh, you know, I was in a 
bubble type microcosm for about four weeks directing this film and it was a, an amazing experience and, and one that I really enjoyed it was a different part of my brain to the one I usually use I guess yeah well yeah. I that must have been hard to stop thinking about the producing side totally because of course you're still thinking about the producing side when you're directing but to just go do you know what? I just need to concentrate on these actors and someone's buzzing in, in your ear about tomorrow's location or costume for next week and you've got to kind of go do you know what just bear with me I need to concentrate yeah. on this but they actually they weren't and it's a testament to the team that we we did have on this that nobody was buzzing in my ear it was mm. more actually me finishing a, a sequence and going right while they're setting up or turning around the lighting or whatever it is yes. can we have a chat about tomorrow and the ad's kind of going we don't need to do that we're across it just let us I do our it. jobs so, yeah yeah it's an action horror mm-hmm. it's a it's an interesting blend of traditional kind of serial killer movie with a what we like to call a smarter twist for a genre film so it's got a it's got a hook that dates back to world war ii and a true story from um winston churchill's 1940 tactics um which kind of feeds into to the to you know it's slightly supernatural element as well so it's there's a lot of stuff in there that we're trying to mold into a film yeah very good so, what, what was your biggest challenges on set then obviously you, you're very established with the action side of stuff which we'll come to in a minute what were your other challenges that weren't that maybe working with actors or locations weren't right obviously you've mentioned weather i mean uh, locations wise we were primarily in the woods a lot of the film takes place in the woods mm-hmm. um, and that woods was inaccessible other than by gator so every morning we were spending about 20 minutes gatoring up and down this kind of mud track that some mornings was frozen over and some mornings was just covered in mud right. everyone in costume you know john reese davies on the back of a gator traveling into work and we had a, a, a fabulous experience when a uh, a camera vehicle decided to try and go through what was basically a trench and it ended up on its side in the middle of a forest where there was no vehicle access so we had to go get a local farmer to come and tow us out with a tractor brilliant um, that kind of thing <laughs> that it's kind all, of thing it's all good yeah usual nothing no you, usual standard terms. day-to-day problems mm-hmm. um right. and to answer your earlier question we shot actually on a c300 on a movie rig oh. so we had we were one of the first <clears throat> films i think on a movie rig when we shot because it hadn't been out that long mm. and we were we actually had technic- technicians up to it a couple of times because it we it wasn't doing what we were expecting it to do but it was really cool because it meant that we could be smooth flowing handheld through the woods yeah. and stuff um i wouldn't necessarily use it on a traditional shoot but for where we were filming it was a really good piece of kit and it got us out of trouble a lot rather than a steady cam you just feel that it was yeah you wouldn't be able to have someone holding a steady cam for for that that length of time and Mm -hmm. the movie gives a similar kind of effect Mm -hmm. um but without the yeah with less equipment and without the weight so it was yeah it was a good call obviously for you working with actors how was that for the first time directing yourself having watched so many other directors Mm. do this before um from really really experienced and and well-known household name directors right down to you know first timers that i've worked with i think there are two types of director i think there are the directors who tell the actors what to do and i think there are directors who watch what the actors want to do and then shape it and i wanted to be the second kind because especially on this i had such Mm -hmm. a good cast with with john reese davies and rosie felner and tristan Summers and paul reynolds and all the people that 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 are in this film they're such a, a talented group they are the, and I, I didn't have that much rehearsal time. I did get some rehearsal time with them, actually in the depths of a nuclear bunker, which was an interesting, again, interesting So you rehearsed experience. in the bunker, so that's great. We rehearsed 80 metres underground. Our rehearsal wow. space was 80 metres underground. But yeah, I thought, I mean, honestly, most of what we did on set was about taking the actor's performance and, and just blocking it within the space and the environment. And it was, you know, quite often I, I didn't, I didn't really have to say that much because they're so, especially John Reese Davies. Yes. I, I wasn't really going to argue with him once he's once he's in flow. He's just awesome. Mm. Um, it was just in many ways, it's it's about stopping him from doing too much. 
rather than, you know, because he will just keep ad-libbing until you say that you've got what you need from him. Right. Um, okay, and some great. of his stories. Um, apparently, the, the nobody tosses a dwarf line in Lord of the Rings was an ad-lib from him and Peter Jackson kept it in and That's then played brilliant. on it. So he's, you know, he'll go, you know, he'll talk for 45 minutes if you let him in character. And it's about knowing when you've got what you need from him to say, okay, switch it off for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> luxury, luxury problems. Right? Totally luxury yeah. problems. Oh, he's an absolute professional. He's an absolute gentleman. Great guy to great have guy around. To have, great asset to have around. And how did you cast him? Did you just go to him cold? We sort of did. Um, he loved the World War Two stuff. He's a, he's an avid historian. Okay. Um, he loves the, the 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 backstory in this, and he mm. really he really got into the whole Churchill's Auxiliary Reserve twist and the, the stuff in there that's based in true fact. Um, but actually, we did already have a, a bit of a relationship with him because um, he is friends with our marketing director, Alistair Audsley, already knew him. So although it was an approach, obviously, through his agent and, and going in in the traditional way, yeah. we could also kind of talk to him direct and say, look, this is what it is, and do you want to meet the guys and stuff? So, yeah, we got to him that way. Perfect. That's good. And what about the action side of it? Let's talk about the action side. There are some quite imaginative deaths in orcs there's some set, um, some proper set pieces yeah there was some yeah. there's big explosion there's some proper set piece deaths in orcs it's not an action film in the way that ross's vengeance movie is yeah ross is the action king really mm. um but prince, prince. ross is the prince a of action king is a yeah. bit <laughs> too high up too, okay duke Arch, the duke of, Arch, duke of action the viscount of action viscount, that's yeah. chocolate okay. chocolate viscount okay. chocolate with, your, with his chocolate ferrari <laughs> yeah the mid viscounts are really hot um you never see them anymore yeah. In, in many ways, the challenge on Orcs for the action stuff, the, the sequences where there were, there were big deaths and, and big set pieces, um, it was about taking what we'd written on the page mm -hmm. and trying to find a way to create something that big in the film, mm -hmm. but using the resources we had. Um, and again, it's collaborative. And you know, I, I wasn't turning up on set going, that's what's in the script, so that's what I want. We're turning up on set going, okay, guys, this is the location we've got. Mm -hmm. We know that this person's got to die. In the script, we had them you know, stuck on a spike on the side of a tree or whatever it is. And I was really lucky. I had Peter Pedrero, Stunt Called Nature, oh, and Matt Strange. Peter's great, isn't he? Yeah, Matt Strange, Matt's great. Effects, both um, yeah. who are both great. And Paul Burns was my production designer, who's okay. awesome at this stuff as well. Um, and we'd all stand around kind of going, okay, what about if we did this? And then Peter would say, I've got this uh, decapitation rig from another movie. Why don't we bring wow. that in? And I, yeah, great. I Let's chop that, someone's head off. I think he's got it in his back pocket yeah. most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, so it was a case of you know, working out the best way to kill these people in mm. the environment we were in. Um, and I think there's some, because we did work like that, I think there's some really good moments. There was only one where we insisted that it stayed as it was in the script. And that was Paul Reynolds' characters come up at the end of the film. And there was a, a very kind of elaborate, booby trap thing that he triggers and we've been doing lots of designs of that and storyboards of that from quite early stages of prep and we did manage to build this big kind of swinging trap thing in the middle of the woods which took a couple of days to rig and you know we did one take on it and then it poured down with rain and wow. we couldn't do another take Wow. But, and so that's a take that's in the film. No, we did do another take. Oh, don't tell anybody there's a bit of a continuity error with the weather. No, right. no one has no noticed one, that notice at all. It's one of the things, isn't at it? All. With rain, you can hardly notice it on screen. It actually makes it look really good because yeah. it looks like yeah. we've wet them all down. Yeah. I thought it looks like we've wet them all down halfway through the scene, but it looks like we've wet them all down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but at least it's no at the end notice. rather than the beginning. But it gives it that yeah. kind of uh, John Carpenter vibe where like yeah. everything is wet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the whole thing's wet. Right. Well, let's let's talk about vengeance. We touched on it then. Boom. I was yeah. just going to say that because you talked about, you mentioned Vengeance. The Viscount of Action directed this one. <laughs> vengeance. When an, when ex-soldier turned mercenary John Gold learns of the murder of his best friend, he sets off on a mission to find out what happened. And what he discovers is a sinister conspiracy and he sets about to take down those responsible one by one. It stars Stu Bennett, 
Orion Lee, James Fisher again, Gary Daniels and Keith Allen. Right, let's talk through the making of this. Oh my God. Yeah. It's going to take days. Well, <laughs> when I was two. Yeah, when I was Let's go back to when idea. I was two again. <laughs> uh, so, I want, I want like um, one of those things that you hold in your hand. I don't know what it's called. Scepter. 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 Yeah, scepter with a cloak. Let's do this. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> oh, no, you'd look like, um, you'd look oh, like no. the King of the Ring if you did that, wouldn't you? Yeah, just, you uh, would. Just to link you in. I think someone that. might have a problem with me saying that. Um, so The Rock, for one. <laughs> so Vengeance is essentially, yes. for want of a better way of saying it, it's Get Carter meets Commando, I suppose. So okay, amazing. so that's influenced by one of your first favourite movies, which you said was Commando. I will remake Commando until they pay me to do it officially. <laughs> Nice. I like will just film. keep remaking yeah, Commando. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, so it's a re- it is essentially a revenge thriller. Okay, uh, we got the awesome Stu Bennett, who is awesome, yeah, awesome, awesome. He's fantastic to work with. Really, I mean, I don't need to blow any smoke. You know, well, he was in Fanged Up with Christian James, who is one of our yeah, uh, hosts he's really on good podcast. Yeah, he said he's brilliant. He's really, really good in that good. movie. I saw that at Fright Fest. Fright Fest, really yeah. enjoyable. And of course, he was in Eliminators with uh, our good buddy Scott Adkins. Mm, so I love Scott Adkins. Really Great. good. And this essentially, um, I hope Stu wouldn't mind me saying this represents one of the things that he's doing to sort of turn from being a heel into a baby face mm-hmm. for the wrestling fans out there. Okay. Uh, he's still a badass who, who, you know, kicks ass and takes names, but it's for the side of good as opposed to just being, just being tough. Stu's very concerned with how his audience thinks of him and, mm-hmm. and, and what they expect from him. And there was even certain parts of the fight choreography, but we adapted to represent that. Some of the choreography involved moves and sort of dirty moves for one of a better way of saying it mm-hmm. but we really were it was important to us to actually say actually that should be the villain that's not what he does okay every set piece it was very important to us was uh story-based action character-based action so why does everybody do what they do mm-hmm. much like a script when you look at a script it should be why does that person say that and how why are they mm. responding that way and for us fight scenes are like arguments they're like arguments. They're, they're basically uh, an argument taken to a physical level. Yes, yes. Right? So it's conflict. So it's all about why does someone do that move? Why do they re- react that way? Okay. Rather than just, that looks cool. Yeah, that's just a fight scene. and they totally just jumped into choreography for no reason. But that's so, great. No, tell us yeah. more about how people can make the choreography work on fight scenes. Okay. One of the things I don't like, mm-hmm. I don't know about anyone else, one of the things I don't like is when a film just stops for a fight. Yeah, or stops for a chase, or stops for a shootout, or whatever. Uh, and I think it's quite obvious when that happens. Mm-hmm. It should be, it's cause and effect. Like, why is why is this happening? You should be able to justify why it's happening. Every set piece should have story beats. There should be reasons why things happen. And I think that then the set piece should live up to that. And 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 then also the story carrying forward should live up to that. Yeah. And so when we when we were choreographing. We had a great choreographer, Andre Nazarenko, really put a lot of work into building the sequences. And then sometimes we would have to then come in with our sort of our two pence and just say, we really feel that this character, for example, wouldn't necessarily do that move, at least not at this time, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, and then, of course, try and find inventive ways to make people get all messed up, which is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for people who are wanting to make a film now and they're looking at doing they're throwing action in there how do they start thinking about okay well there's a fight scene where people get hit here but how do you break that down i think that depends on what your experience and background is i mean ross obviously has been directing action since he was two mm-hmm. so Wait, 11, 11 11 <laughs> since he was 11 so he knows he understands how fight sequences work mm-hmm. and you know there is always 
it's it's not it's not boring ideas but there are always ideas that you've seen in other movies that you want to take on and 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 actually develop and and take forward mm-hmm. if you've got a brain that already understands that and knows how action works on screen then great and you could come up with stuff yourself if you're not and you're a filmmaker coming into this and you want to do some kick-ass action sequences but you don't have that experience make sure you partner with somebody who has that stunt experience or that fight choreography experience. Yeah. Um, make sure, just practical stuff, make sure you're insured and you're risk assessed because especially if you've got a famous actor on set, you can't start throwing them around and hitting them with breakable props and things unless you've got the right. And low budget, I know it sounds obvious, but low budget films, that kind of process of risk assessing and making sure that all of the health and safety stuff, you are still a business and mm-hmm. you are still subject to the same employment laws. So yes. don't just start you know, throwing stuff and just think because it's a film, it's all Right. Make sure you've got properly qualified professional people there and make sure that you you properly choreograph your fight sequences with someone who knows and understands what that's going to look like on screen. I've got a couple of other little tips bouncing off from that. Partly in terms of the frame, camera mm-hmm. frame. Yeah. Uh, again, just look at how films are, and look at films that you like and how they're made. And I, I, the best steal from the best. I think that's fair enough. Uh, the other thing is, if you're doing it to them, it's a homage. If they're doing it to you, they're ripping you off. That's yes, <laughs> Tarantino's words. That's, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the other thing is, when shooting mm-hmm. action, almost any action, and actually, I, I I do this conversationally as well, not just to do with fight scenes, but it's super important to overlap your shots, like movement between shots. Yes, but certainly for a fight scene, always do the next bit, like just the first move of the next bit. In mm. your at the end of your previous shot, sure, and then do the end of the previous bit in the next shot as well, yeah. because trust me when I say editing, mm-hmm. it will make a huge difference. I would always say, you know, take it from the line before, and take it through to the next line. If you're just doing a small piece, yeah. it, it will you'll be so happy in the editing suite compared because to you might need it. You might need that breath, that little Absolutely. moment of them not speaking. Before a head turn, yeah. it can be it can be almost anything. It's, yeah. uh, amazing how much that overlapping can help you and you edit as well right i mean you edit yeah. pretty much all your films I, yes so far i mean i take notes like like i'm um, particularly with vengeance for example the communication between myself and john and diane it's really important to get feedback and notes and then follow mm. through and on this one i was essentially writer director editor and it was really important like even in the process of writing and again lots of notes while we were doing it and everything mm-hmm. you're always aware but dialogue is almost the first thing to go as well as people walking in and walking out of rooms. So true. Um, yep. Just even on set, like, mm. like John was talking about collaborating with actors, it's really important to see what the actors bring. And so much can be said with a look. Can. And much more powerfully, because sometimes much, words yeah. can come across wrong or yeah. badly, or it doesn't work, but actually just with a look. Well, well our, our mutual friend, Genghis Derbis, oh, yeah, who, who I've worked with on a couple of movies, in one particular movie, he and I got together to go through the script and we actually cut four pages of dialogue for us. And it's a really lovely scene in the movie where it's now... It's a couple of words exchanged, and the rest of it is just—it's just a given because the, the, yeah. the visuals are telling the story, and it's much, much better. It's much more powerful. I think, without sounding, I hope it doesn't. I'll stop making caveats. Economy of storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Huge yeah. show. What don't tell. The, um, what was the Hitchcock so. movie where he cut the first four pages of a script? There was—it was. It was the, I can't remember which film it was, but the first four pages of the original script were a husband and wife arguing, and right. Hitchcock ripped it up and just had them storming out of a hotel room together, getting into a lift in silence, and then a, a Genius, young yeah. girl getting in and the husband looking and her giving him a look, and you did the whole it's setting up of all. their relationship with mm-hmm. no dialogue in about twenty seconds. It's easy to overwrite, um, though. I mean, when you're writing, yeah. you think, "Well, this is important. I must put this in. Must put it in." As soon as you get to the edit, oh, oh you sure. learn about editing. You suddenly go, "Actually, I didn't need any." of that and you start writing things differently after you've edited for a while because you go i don't need it 
when you do editing, when you do shooting, when you when you when you put all of that together and you look at the process of that, you realize that what you're basically doing is refining a film down. Yeah. That's what you're doing, you, whether you're polishing that turd or whether, <laughs> or whether you're refining that diamond, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's always about getting it down to, I guess, its essence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you should just cut something just because you can, but sure. I really believe in that. I believe mm-hmm. in that that sense that you're always bringing it down and bringing it down and bringing it in. Yeah. Um, and dialogue, when you just look at it, it doesn't, it just, so much of it can just Go. disappear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's so Except important. for explaining key, maybe key details. And- of course, yeah. Yeah, no, it's fascinating, all that. So how did you raise money for your films from the beginning? Obviously, you just went out there and made your early stuff yourself. So when you started going, well, do you know what? We've sold stuff now. How then did you step up? How did you start raising funds? So the thing to think about is post office is open at about 9.30. If you slip in at 9.15 with hoods and shotguns. Yeah, <laughs> you could raise your which money. Which actually double as film props, which is useful. Yes, because obviously, so you've, yeah. you've both sides um, win-win. <laughs> How do we raise money? It's, it's I like that. That's what we that's do. What we just, just, it's a it's a long it's it's been a long process because you're right. From at the beginning, yeah, my first mm-hmm. film as a producer, I put it on a credit card, and that wasn't wow. the best idea. You um, had a credit card, what, yeah. No, well, yeah, I was ex army. I was yeah, they're trustworthy. Um, what but, film was um, that? <laughs> oh, right, okay. What, what <laughs> bank was well, that? Famously, But I guess what you learn over time is the, the business side of stuff, and what we've gradually set up and what we now have mm-hmm. is is basically a vertically integrated business model here at Evil Issue Films. I'm so not going to go into the big corporate advertising thing, but. Sure. We but invest grew, in us. Yeah but, yeah, but we grew from a filmmaking background into, well, Ross had sales experience. I did a bit of work at film sales. We put together what was effectively a, a business model for a production sales and distribution company as a small vertically integrated model. And we rolled it out as an enterprise investment scheme idea under EIS. Great. Um, and we raised a, a, enough of a chunk of money to make a couple of movies and establish a sales arm and you know keep rolling from there fantastic we obviously still raise money for films because you know, the 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 thing you have to understand with with a pipeline of product in the film industry is the bigger companies are churning out one two three films a month and actually it takes a year to make a film properly so if you're going to have that pipeline and they don't all make money so if you're Mm going to risk mitigate for your investors and you're going to have a pipeline of product coming through you want to be making or releasing films on a regular basis so that you've got income and it becomes then a business Um, so what we did we established the company using private equity Mm -hmm. made a couple of films we acquired the rights to we've now got over 20 movies in our catalogue the international sales arm of the company goes to Cannes and Berlin and AFM and all the major markets to sell our own movies and other people's movies and in many ways it was about putting that infrastructure in place for our own stuff which meant we could license other people's films as well and then this year we started the UK releasing side of stuff and as you said we've got Kane Hill out this Friday we've got mm-hmm. Orcs coming out on the 10th of November theatrically we just did a theatrical last month on Let Me Go the Juliet Stevenson film mm-hmm. uh, then next year we're probably going to do Vengeance ourselves depending on what other offers come in from other distributors uh, we've also just picked up a couple of other movies we've got Looking for Lennon we've got Written by Mrs. Bark there's, so there's a obviously earlier this year Let Me Go yeah. um, Who Could Nelson could Nutmeg, Nutmeg One Million Clicks, clicks. so, so we're, we've got a you know, the UK distribution arm of Evolutionary is, is really starting to, to to kick in now um, and coupled with the international sales side of stuff where we're selling the same films into other territories mm-hmm. and it, it gives us a really good pool of assets because 
the work we're doing for PR. I mean, let me go. We got every major publication in in the UK. We got Sun, so Telegraph, good. Times, yeah, we had, and Graham Norton's radio show, Loose Women. It was yeah, it was right. it was everywhere for the couple of weeks we were promoting it, and we can now take all of that print and 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 press articles and assets and go to to, to AFM next week and say, look at what we did in the UK with this guy's. Here's all of the press information and all of the marketing assets and all of the posters and all of the other stuff and all of the teasers. And it's a good selling tool then mm. to sell the film in America and other places. So it all feeds in and it works under one banner. We also do all of our promotional materials in house as well. Pretty much, we do, we pretty do much with, everything in house. We do all yeah. the posters and stuff, the designs of design. some of the. Depends on the film. We've used. We've got a, a guy that we use for some of the genre stuff who's done quite a few of our posters. Mm-hmm. The release posters for Let Me Go, Orcs, and the latest one for Vengeance have all been done in house by wow. our marketing team. And they're so good. And yeah. Yeah. I'm watching yeah. the trailers all here. The trailers, the trailers we all do in house, and it's just so. all great. You it's, cut the trailers as well. Fantastic. Yeah. We've actually been working on a trailer. Dave Ross has been doing the pictures. I've been doing the sound. It's like a team. Yes. Like, <laughs> like, like a team. Like, not, 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 wait, wait, just clear. We're not a team. <laughs> We're like a team. And Diane's been Diane's been doing like all the accounts and business and actual follow-ups and stuff while we've been playing on Avid and Final Cut. Um, working, 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 sorry, working, working, working. What is it yeah, that you're working. cutting at the moment? What's the trailer you're doing? We're just doing Vengeance. a new Vengeance trailer for FM. Because oh, Vengeance, I've, I've just said Orcs is out in UK cinemas on the 10th of November. Vengeance has its world premiere on the 11th of November. 11th of November. At the oh. Urban Action Expo in New York. So literally the day after. Times oh, Square. Amazing. Yeah. That's crazy. He's at Times Square at the HBO building and we're nationwide in cinemas in the UK that's, in showcase. I mean, that's huge. I'm the quite wobbly need. Can I just say, I'm a little bit wobbly need about <laughs> this. Are you going um, over for it? I am. And, oh, and uh, genuinely, it's a bit, oh, it's all good. But I feel like it's a shame I'm not, we're not all here for yeah. both of No, I'd, I'd love to be in New York because Stu's coming to do like a signing and yeah, stuff at the expo. So cool. um, and somebody so, other guys. And so, yeah, no, I know. Um, and I'm going to, I'm back from AFM on the 8th. And then I'm actually going to, I think I'm going to get a group of friends together and go to Newham Cinema Showcase and go and watch Orcs on the big screen there. Really? So cool. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's, yeah. huge. I mean, that's huge. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including Headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
Right. And what, what do you look for when someone sends you a project then? So someone goes, oh, do you know what? I've got this film and they send it to you cold. Is this something that you look for? I think there's, there's, two, there's always two aspects. First of all, we can, t- we can look at completed films. We can. We get involved different. at different stages. <clears throat> we can do completed films or we can look at stuff in development. The thing we say about stuff in development, I guess, is that it needs to have more than just an idea or a script. It needs to have some cast attached that's actually bankable sure. or some money attached because we're not going to – we can't spend – too much time we used to do a lot of development work with people and what we found is that only one in ten of the films we were working on ever actually got made and you we, as a business we can't spend that much time doing that type of work mm-hmm. so we kind of look at stuff now as a is this realistically moving forward i'm sorry go on, I'm well, no, no, but i think that's a that's an important point like when, when it's a film that's in development or dare i say moving forward into getting made one way or another or being pushed properly mm-hmm. <clears throat> when we see that the people involved with the film are already down the road of doing things like, like you say, even if it's just a cast proposal, but a strong cast proposal, there's money that looks like it's in play. Just, just the actual, like a proper business plan. It's not just, I mean, for example, yeah. the number of emails we've received in the last two weeks alone before AFM, if not longer, which say I've written five scripts. <laughs> they start with I've written five right. scripts. Right. And, and, that's um. Look, we all know how hard it can be to write a script. It's really hard. I'm yep. never going to, regardless yep. of what we might think of a script. Sure, that's another yeah. thing. But just the effort that goes into it, we'd never want to diminish that. That's it's really amazing that people put that work in. Mm-hmm. But when someone says, "I've got five, and look, we've all been it. Like even in my young years, I was like, "Yeah, let's write seven action scripts," because people will say, "How? What have you got?" You know, and yeah, you're sure. kind of desperately to do that. But now, when you look at that as a, essentially as a business that could potentially help structure it or help push it forward or whatever it is when you see that you just go that's not something that a company that has a certain amount of time can jump on mm-hmm. and genuinely like what's here what could we do like should could we work up a, a cast wish list, like a sensible cast wish list and mm-hmm. okay what's your business plan how much if it's a uk film you know your tax credit is x yes we could potentially bring so it's about having a more rounded project i should say ultimately though i think the the thing that we're looking for when we because the best thing for us is to get completed projects because yeah, we right. can monetize them we can take them to market and we can monetize them and yeah. from the point of view of us and the point of view of the filmmakers it means that you know everything happens quickly they deliver us a film and we go and sell the film sometimes um, not sometimes not um but what <laughs> right sometimes. what we're looking for are the same things that we mentioned so much earlier on about when people have an idea for a film they need to ask themselves the questions about Who's the audience for this? How am I selling it? What, you know, why am I making this film? Mm-hmm. When we look at a film, we're not just looking at whether it's well made. Um, we kind of expect it to be professional quality because buyers are not going to care whether you spent 20 grand or 2 million. It's they're looking mm-hmm. for professional quality broadcast for product audience. for their audiences. Yeah. So you, it, being well made is not a selling point. What, what we need is something that has a hook, that has cast we can sell off, that has an original approach to something or, or something genre. that's mm. in a genre and really well made that we could say to buyers that this is a really well made thriller or a really well made horror film. The thing to be really careful of at independent level is, is drama and comedy because drama and comedy, yeah. unless you've got cast in there, mm-hmm. it's very hard to sell. Mm. And you, know, you, you could have a brilliant movie and buyers just flick through it because the reality of the product that we take to market is it's competing with thousands of other titles yeah. and the studios will be pumping out the romantic comedies and dramas that do have a list cast Big and names. you can't compete yeah. with those because there's only so much space in cinemas for that type of film. Um, but I think ultimately what we're looking for is if you've got a film and you want to sell it, 
we can assess whether or not we think it's viable that we will make money from it. You know, it used to be that the cost of releasing a film was the budget again when you used to have to do 35 mm-hmm. mil prints. It's not that anymore. But we have to, I mean, just the basic stuff like the insurances, the BBFC certificates, the, the packaging for digital platforms that we have to do, the the wholesaling and shipping of the DVDs and all the stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, it is not, it, just because you've got a good film, there's that doesn't mean that we have to take it because we are taking, so- we're investing in your film alongside you. If we take it on, we, you know, there is, and even just international sales, it's artwork, it's printing, it's brochures, it's posters on the wall. It's it's time, valuable time with buyers because we only get 15-minute slots with buyers at markets mm-hmm. and we only see them three, four times a year. So if we're selling your film, that's instead of something else. Yeah. And you know, sure. that's and that's our bread and butter. We you know, this is this is what we do for a living. So if we make the wrong decisions about what films to take to market, we don't sell them and then we don't get paid. So yeah, film there's a lot of Sort of, this sounds it probably sounds a little unfair, but there's a, a certain sort of expectation level and and almost kind of um, sense of entitlement that filmmakers have that because they've made a film, we have to take it and take it to market for them. And it's like, well, guys, actually, yeah, this is it's yeah. yeah there's we've got other stuff we could choose, so work with us. How does it feel when you're you're selling your films and you're sort of going, oh, we've got this film? You're not saying that you directed it either. No, no, no. no actually, if, that's, I, if I ask, if if I inquire, sure, but that's one of the things that that is really crucial to us is when we go to market and do we, we treat the the things we do separately. Mm-hmm. So when we go to market and we're representing films for sales, yes, our films do not take precedence over the other films we're representing. They, yeah, we've got a catalogue of yeah, titles. You're and, not going to, yeah, just what about yeah, this? No, one? No, I'm no, out. No, you can't, you, can't do, you can't do that. And yeah. it wouldn't be fair to do that, no. A. But, but also the, the thing that spooks film buyers most is if they think they're sitting in the room with a creative filmmaker because their business, sure. I mean, they are business people. Mm-hmm. They just want to talk about, you know, what's the ask you price, who's in it, what's the take price. And, and you know, they, they want to be critical and they want to be able to be straight with you. Yeah. And so we tend to play down, you know, they all know that we're content creators. They all know we're producers, yeah. but on, we tend to play down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously our names are on stuff, yeah. but we don't, we don't kind of approach, like, and this is one we made. Look at this one. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, yeah, we, we should start doing that. Yeah. 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 Um, this it's, is my one. It's not, like a, this one. <laughs> it's not a selling point at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Yeah. And in many ways, we we always are looking at what's the best thing to promote for this market. So I was going to say, that's the other thing, is that essentially, I've, I've had this thing for a game, when I talk about how it'd be good if more filmmakers understood the business more. Mm. I've always thought it might be good slash bad if filmmakers, I, d- I wouldn't want them to sit in on meetings, but if they, and this includes ourselves, in some degree, <laughs> some degree, but if they were a fly on the wall, mm. And they could really see that when you're in Cannes or AFM or one of the markets and we have a booth and buyers come by, sit down, very mostly very nice people, mm-hmm. some of them have got a lot of time. What they basically do is they will open our brochure and they will just, they will essentially look through each page. They will, unless they sit down and say something like, we want action movies. Sure. We, yeah. A lot of them will sit down and say, we've had, we have, we've had buyers who have literally sat down and said, no comedy, no drama, and then said, Hello. They're, they're looking for the same thing that we are looking because they're, yeah. they're acting on behalf of their employers who are acting on behalf of an audience. Mm. And so the questions the buyers are asking from a pretty brusque business point of view is what's it about, who's in it, and why would I go and see it at the Absolutely. cinema? Yeah. And what, yeah. it's the same conversation yeah. you might have with you know, your Saturday night date about going to see a film at the cinema and yeah. going, well, yeah, who's in that one? Uh, what's it about? What's it? Yeah. But yeah. they're doing that with 20, 30, 40 films in a catalogue every half an hour meeting they sit down with. And I think one of the most soul-destroying things I ever saw was before 
really I was doing film sales. I happened to be in the room with the person who at the time was trying to sell my Magnificent Eleven film that I mm-hmm. made a few years ago. And yeah, I was quite proud of the Magnificent Eleven. I yeah. co-written it with Irving Welsh. I'd got Robert Vaughan and Sean Pertwee and this big cast. And I remember great. watching this buyer. I think it's a Middle Eastern buyer. I remember him flicking through their catalogue and stopping at Magnificent Eleven and going, uh, what's this one? And the guy selling it saying, uh, it's a film about a Sunday league soccer team. That, and he got that far into the the... the synopsis and the buyer just went nope and moved on and turned the page and looked at the next film it's like that's that's 1.2 million pounds and a year and a half of my life that you've just turned a page over on but that's the reality of what what we're dealing with market to market that's what i'm getting at if filmmakers and i mean this in the like uh, what's the word a reality check way nicest one understood and by the way it's not personal there's yeah, nothing. Not there's personal. no personal. No, no. They are, they are as far removed it. from it, and as, they are all there to buy as well. They that's, want to buy. Yeah, they want, want to buy films. Yeah, they yeah. just yes. need to. They've got a budget, Absolutely. and they've got to buy the best possible films Absolutely. that they can get for their particular audience. Yeah. Brilliant. This is great advice. This is fascinating, and I could talk all day, but we do have to wrap up on this. Tiny bit about Sunday, isn't it? I know. <laughs> yeah. a tiny bit of advice for filmmakers. Just something on the top of your head that that will inspire. I was with you till the inspire bit. <laughs> What's that word? <laughs> All right, just advice. Don't do what, it. Frighten. What, frighten. Something that would frighten people. <laughs> so Halloween. Get scared. Advice for filmmakers, I guess, make sure that it's very difficult with lots and lots of people giving you advice. And people do. Everybody has an opinion. And one of the great sure. things about what we do is that it's subjective and we put, I'll work out there and people, yeah, we get two star reviews, we get five star reviews. And, and as Michael Winner once said, one man's meat is another man's poison. Mm-hmm. You can't always please all the people all the time. I think it's important though to take advice from people that you trust and to make the filmmaking process collaborative. Because if you try and control too much of your film and you bring one person's vision all the way through a process without bouncing it off other people at script and then during production and then during edit um you quite often you will miss really obvious ways that you can make it a more commercial more successful film and whether that's talking to your peers or talking to your cast and crew and your team or whether that's coming and talking to someone like us and saying you know can i sell this what what's it worth can you do us numbers all of that we're quite approachable um you know, we don't it. yeah mm. we don't we we obviously can't spend time with everybody who knocks on the door but you know we, we sure. are here but just get that feedback before especially if you're spending someone else's money just get that feedback and try and make sure that you do everything you can to make to make it a viable business that's great advice my, thank you my little bit because <laughs> john's just given a very good overview my little bit is if you're making a movie, shooting a movie, no matter how little money you have, feed your cast and crew really, really well. Yeah, they'll work harder for you. Again. Yeah. But feed them. I'm serious. Yeah. No, dude, it's, <laughs> it's genuinely really serious. serious. Chocolate Lamborghini rather than anything else. <gasps> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it was a Ferrari, wasn't it? Chocolate, chocolate Ferrari. Ferrari. Chocolate Ferrari. Oh, Lamborghini's funny. They look like they can fly. Like, yeah, I don't mind. Exactly. <laughs> so where can we follow you um, in terms well, of online the social yeah. media? <laughs> where can we follow you at home at the end of the day? <laughs> yeah. um, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, Evolutionary Films. So I, I think Twitter, we're Evo Films UK. Twitter and Instagram, it's at Evo Films UK. Yep. The Orcs one is Orcs the Movie on Twitter, or yep. there is an Orcs Facebook page as well. And then we've got our website, which is evolutionaryfilms.com. And basically, just Google us or IMDBS and you'll probably find us. Vengeance, it's Vengeance Film UK on Twitter and Instagram. 
vengeance or something on Facebook. I can't remember. Just yeah. vengeance just, on just, Facebook. Just I think. Vengeance yeah. on Facebook. Um, and then all the other stuff that we've got, you know, the Cane Hills and Let Me Goes and all the other uh, stuff. Um, was, uh, they've all got their own. Everything gets. Everything goes through our main social channels. So if you're following Evo Films UK, mm-hmm. chances are you're going to see everything. Great. But if there's a specific film you want to follow, you'll find all of their individual handles on there. Magic. And you can follow me at Giles Alderson. And you can follow me at Dan Seven Tenths. And you can follow the Filmmakers Podcast at Filmmakers Pod. Do remember, it's a miracle that a film ever gets made. So if you're even close, if you've made one, congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. It's hard. Keep going. Keep your dream alive. Um, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, boys. It's been nice. Pleasure. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I don't think anything I said made sense. Yeah, it it made really sense. does. <laughs> that might speak badly for you. <laughs> <laughs> and for John. Cheers, guys. We will see you next Tuesday um, for another fascinating podcast, I imagine. We'll hear you next Tuesday. Yeah, but I'll You'll see you next Tuesday. Yeah, you can't say that. I know, I did. <laughs> <laughs>